0: You're listening to VO Stories, episode 57. I'm your host, voiceover talent and trainer, Tina Zaremba. Today I'm talking with audio engineer, producer, and casting director, Frank Berderosa. Listen in as Frank shares how his passion for music and audio led him on his path, why he loves running castings, behaviors he sees in successful voiceover talent, and much, much more. Here's our chat. I know who you are, but why don't you share with folks that don't know who you are, who you are and where we are? Because normally I'm talking to folks, people I interview over Zoom in their home studio or somewhere else.
1: Well, we're not at a home studio. We're at a studio studio. Hopefully it sounds that way. It's Frank Verderosa. We're sitting in Studio A at Digital Arts, which is my new home.
0: Yeah, this is nice. I'm loving it, too. Actually seeing you here in person. It's like Frank V and Tina Z, the Frank and Tina show. So, Frank. How did you find yourself at digital arts?
1: Well, it's a long story, but we... this industry. <laughs> well, how far back do you want to go?
0: Let's go back to, Beginning. I mean, at birth, but...
1: <laughs> First, I was a zygote. Um, then I remember there being some light. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I've always loved sound and technology. So it really, for me, goes back to high school. Like, I knew back then, my brother and I took over the garage in our parents' home and had, like audio equipment, my guitars, my four-track drum machines, synthesizers. We in a band. I, you know, I was in a band in college and, and jammed in high school, but I was never, like, fully committed to being a musician because I don't like to practice. Yeah. And even now, so I made it through four years of a music school as a classical guitarist, which is a joke because I sucked. Like, I was never good at it because uh, I didn't want to practice, but I could sit in the studio for days. I just love that. So that's that's become my life. And I started out as an album guy doing music production and, and music engineering for Name a lot drop. of things. Name drop?
0: Yeah, like who did you do any?
1: The biggest, I mean, there were like a million things you've never heard of, and then some cool things like Run DMC, LL Cool J for a little bit, some really cool jazz stuff, produced a, j- a really great jazz album for my big brother. Uh, we have like Michael Brecker, Randy Brecker, and all these cool people.
0: Your brother's a producer?
1: He's a producer drummer. He is currently, as we're recording this, he's at He's recording the Royal Philharmonic at Royal Albert Hall. No, not not Royal Albert Hall. At Abbey Road Studios uh, for a project. Because he does like music for commercials these days and film and television. So he's great.
0: Well, props to your parents because they say if you let kids do what they love to do, you know, in terms of play, even as teenagers, that shows the path that they should be on. And
1: more importantly, props to them for suffering and not having a place to put the car for all those years because it literally you couldn't put a car in the garage. (laughs) (laughs) And there were a lot of nights, too, as a kid where my father would open the garage door and I'm thinking he's going to tell me I'm being too loud. And the door would open and it was sunlight. And I'd been in there since dinner time. So and but that's perfect for this business, because that's the life we live. And especially for the music business, because there were there were a number of years where I commuted home against it was like a salmon run getting into Penn Station at six in the morning, seven in the morning, when everybody was flooding out, because I had just been recording a band all night or mixing an album. It was a totally different world.
0: So you did that, and then how did that segue or how did you pivot that into producing or doing work on commercials? And all the stuff I
1: do. So I was was at a studio called Soundtrack. Soundtrack was a really great music studio. They had tons of rooms and every artist you can think of going through there. And I was really cutting my teeth there as, as a music engineer and producer. But they were also, by day, they had this really big ad agency business. They also were heavily invested in uh, some digital technology that was pretty groundbreaking at the time. It Seems silly now when you look at what we can do on our phones compared to then. But I loved it, I, and I was living and breathing this stuff. And um, it was sort of a freak moment. It, it was an, actually it was George Bush Senior's reelection campaign. Okay. And and soundtrack had been doing the commercials around the clock. And one of the engineers for uh, his campaign. For his campaign. And he was exhausted. This one engineer and I was I wasn't into politics at the time. I was a kid, so mm-hmm. is all the all the meaning is lost. Like just doing commercials. So the co-owner came to me and said, "You know this new digital system? Why don't you go take over? We got to put a guy up in a hotel because he's exhausted. So jump in there and just mix." So I mixed a bunch of spots overnight, and the owner found out. He offered me a job doing that in the morning. He's like, "Look." Full time, you get a salary, benefits, weekends off, sushi for lunch, cappuccinos. How does it sound? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm an album guy. But then it was like, shortly thereafter, working on my umpteenth rap project, and in this case, it was cutting vocals for a guy I'd never heard of, Notorious B.I.G. or Biggie Smalls at the time. Who these days, you talk to you know people into hip hop, the man's a legend. I didn't know anything. I you had a, back then, I had a shirt and tie white kid from long island just sitting at the board doing my thing but in this one session i had a you know big console like back in the day all the tracks were laid out and the sound of a gun cocking just kept coming up and it wasn't labeled i'm like why is this so loud every time i can't find it and then he comes out of the booth which is pitch black it was a booth twice the size of the one we're in no he was using his gun in real time to make the sound effect so the very next day, I went to the owner. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm done doing this.
0: But no more also, guns for me.
1: But also, I have to say, and I'm a bit of a nerd in this way, I knew at a very early age, I would talk to the engineers and producers I was working with and said, what's your life like? And all the good music guys, and it's not, not all of them, but a, a number that I spoke to were like, well, my first wife couldn't stand the hours, and my second wife was better about it, but my girlfriend loves it, she's 18, and it's like, you know, 50 year old guy with it. And it's like, I just didn't want to be that. I wanted a house and a family at some point, And I just didn't see working in hip hop and whatever was left musically in New York as a path forward to my life goals. So the post-production world suited me and and I feel like I've done okay with it.
0: So what's the typical day like here? No more rappers, no more guns.
1: Um, although, you know, it's still, I remember <laughs> I started my own company uh, when I was 26. Uh, we were down on Bond Street called Planet V and uh, all done with my rap past. And then a friend of mine from high school who was a great video editor, Brian Kushner, calls me and says, hey, I'm doing this music video. It's it's a tribute to Notorious B.I.G. Puffy's doing it. We need a sound design and mixed. Uh, Tracy Morgan is doing all this interstitial stuff that needs to be mixed. I'm like, yeah, bring it in. And it was the same crap all over again. <laughs> they booked a 10 o'clock start. They called at noon to say they couldn't find the tape. They finally showed up at 4. They weren't ready. We didn't roll till 6. And I said, look, you're paying for all this time. I'm like, what do you mean? We didn't start till 6. I'm like, no, 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 no. So everyone else me. was here. The
0: yeah. clock's going,
1: but um, but that was rare. I mean, now a typical day for me is I'm recording voiceovers for cartoons. We do a lot for Disney, for Nickelodeon, for uh, Cartoon Network. Are we, these shows?
0: Sorry, shows. Yeah, to, you so know, full like full the shows. cast is here recording a
1: show. Sadly, a lot of the stuff is done one at a time. Yeah. You know, and, and it suffers for it. I know Nick and Burbank, they do group records where where a lot of the actors will be in together. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it really shines through, I think. But but a lot of other productions, it's, you know, it's, you know, whatever celebrity happens to be in New York at the moment, they th- send them in to do their part alone. It's A lot of cartoons are done that way.
0: So I have a kid. Can you name some of the shows or no?
1: Oh, uh, boy. You know, Loud House? Loud House I've been recording the grandma for. She actually, we grew up with her. She was Maria on Sesame Street. Oh, yeah, so yeah, she's the grandma yeah. on Loud House, so yeah. we work with her a lot. I haven't seen her in a little bit though. Uh, she's wonderful. Um, most recently, I recorded Lori Allen for SpongeBob. She's oh yeah, a character yeah. on there. She happened to be in New York for a little bit, so that was. So it's it's always centers around that. I record like Christian Slater a lot for various projects, and it's cool because sometimes it's like, all right, well, he's going to be there for a Disney thing. So then, Mister Robot would send over some ADR work since he's already going to be in this booth. So there would you know, there'd be you know peripheral things that would just sort of pop up. So that's one aspect of it. And the other aspect is days where I'll have you know an ad agency in producing radio or TV spots, and we're recording the voiceover, we're sound designing, we're mixing the music, and shipping it, and you know, you know that part of it. And that's the that's the most fun. But what I like is having the diversity because. You do a few days of ad work, and then you're ready for a cartoon break. And then you do a few days of cartoon, and you're like, I need the challenge of an ad job. And here we're kind of doing all of it, you know. Just just when you get bored with one, something cool pops up. And you get bored with the other, something else pops up.
0: With voiceover, and you've been in the business for a little while. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the industry shift? I mean, are people coming in here to audition the way they used to? Or is it more MP3s and the jobs are booked and they come here to do the actual stuff? It's session? a little
1: bit of both. You know, very often I love casting. It's something that just sort of fell into because clients were like, can you do this? And I'm like, yes, we mm-hmm. can do that. Uh, and I enjoy it. But it's it's a it really every job is different. If I wish I could cast every job, but it's not enough hours in a day. So more often than not, it's a client saying, hey, we're sending in this actor and we're going to be doing Burger King from noon to four. You know, it's already been booked, but I love when I get to cast. What do you like about it? What makes this job fun? I mean, it has a a lot of really good clients, but people like you, the voice talent pool makes it so much fun. There's just so many great people. And when you're doing an audition, it's a chance to see everybody. The pity with auditions is you can't Chit chat with everybody as much as you want because you got to keep it moving. Nobody wants to sit and wait all day. Yeah, yeah. Um, But there's just not enough of it, and then it it leads to another whole can of worms for me, where I kind of, you know, you you go to the grog, the big voiceover party I have every year.
0: I have not been personally invited yet. Andy Meisel mentioned it to me. You just have to show. You
1: just go. Everybody just goes, and it dawned on me.
0: What's that? I so said, next year I'm going with you. I'm yeah, come. It's, and it's,
1: now it's right up the street from where we're based. Okay. So I have no excuse to not go. This year I only made it for like an hour. But in that hour, I looked around the room and said, where the hell are all these faces when I do auditions? Because I get a script and I, I will look at the script and read it and understand what they're looking for. And immediately four or five people come to mind. Like, oh, you know who'd be great for this? is. The... Then I'll call those agents and say, and while you're at it, send me – people in this range and once you send me 10 and you send me 10 and now you've got a pretty full schedule and then i'll throw an extra like if anybody wants to self-tape they can submit right record Um, on their own record on their own at home and submit an mp3 but there's a very wide gap in what constitutes a home studio not everybody people say i've got a home studio and then you get these auditions it's like you don't (laughs) <laughs> Your I'm iPhone sorry. doesn't count. <laughs> Your iPhone doesn't count. You can't go in the bathroom to do it. Uh, and and the problem with it, and it, I could talk for days about this stuff, but I really feel like people who self-tape do it at a disadvantage. Now, it's a numbers game. If you're a voice actor and you're listening to this, sure, you can knock out a lot more auditions at home. Right. But what you're not going to get is me listening to take one or any casting director and go, oh, I see what you're doing. I think what they want is this. Right. So you're not getting any feedback in what you do. So you're just doing three or four takes. And if you've missed the joke or if you missed the punchline, there's no one there to correct you for take two, take three. And so you're just throwing yourself in. And, you know, if it sounds like a really crappy recording, because a lot of people say, well, I have a home studio, but it's just for auditions. Yeah. But if it sounds bad, clients sometimes like they click play and they hear the air conditioning blowing in the background or a siren. They don't listen much further, you know, and they can't get a true sense of your what you really sound like, so it's a real it's a bit of a mess. But the upside is, if you're home all day, you can get a lot more auditions knocked out. Um, so so
0: you're an expert as far as you know the studio goes. What do you what would you recommend for someone who has wants to build a home studio because you don't want to invest. Thousands upon thousands of dollars. Know.
1: Well, that's the double-edged sword. Right? Well, I mean, if you can get... So, you know, a lot of times agents have their, their in-house thing. So if you go to that, at least it's going to sound good. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't get a slot... And, and it really, sometimes it's not even their fault. Sometimes it's... I've said to an agent, look, I'm going to give you you get all the 15 minutes in the hour. So you get 10, 10, 15, 10, 45, 11, 11, 15, like whatever. And so many slots they can fill. Well, I can't see everybody, right? But it's nice to be able to give the client a lot more stuff. So it's, It's a double-edged sword. But yeah, if you can get to your agent and record in a better mic, if you know you don't have a good setup. There are plenty of people out there who have really good mics and really good recording capabilities.
0: Do you have like a top three that you list that you say you absolutely should have this for a home studio?
1: It's such a wide range. It really is. Like, for example people talk about and you see in the studio all the time or the, or the mics we're talking into now these are the sennheiser 416 shotgun mics very popular in the voice world yeah. what what i love about them is that you don't always have the big windscreen on it so you can see your copy and not have to look around a big pop filter
0: right
1: and they sound really good you know and they're like a thousand dollars
0: This is the shotgun mic.
1: yeah you know, like maybe 1100 1200 mm-hmm. they're, they're pretty reasonably priced this is the same mic as that. This one, uh, someone chose to put a pop filter in front of instead of the windsock. Okay. But I wanted a mic for home. I don't do voiceover work, but I, I work in podcast stuff, and I wanted the ability to record pickups if I need to. I had heard a couple of really cheap Chinese knockoff microphones. There was one called the C1, and I did a side-by-side with the U87, my old studio, and you'd be hard-pressed to tell which one was a $3,000 mic and which one cost three hundred really yeah it was that close and the argument against it is like well you know the three thousand dollar mic is built so perfect that they're consistent you can go on that mic anywhere in the world and it's going to still sound the same i'm like yeah but if you're a voice actor working from home who cares it's just you and it's always just going to be you
0: what's the name of that mic
1: again well that's a c1 they don't make them anymore so i was looking for one and i called Sweetwater, which is a really great place yeah, to deal with yeah they're, they're so great uh, We get money for saying that, right? Is that part <laughs> oh, yeah, of the deal? yeah, yeah. Sweetwater, um, sweetwater. So I spoke to one of their guys. I wish I could remember his mm-hmm. name. He said, I see, I know what you're going for. Buy the Rode NT1A. It's $269, comes with a windscreen. I bought a little boom arm for my home setup. And when we were doing the podcast up at the old Nutmeg location, I was recording on a U87 on my desk. And I would plug in stuff at home with just a little EQ. It's fine. It's right there. And if you're a voice actor, and I have pretty good ears, if you're a voice actor and I say, hey, what kind of mic are you using? If you say down the line, I'm using an 87, I have no reason not to believe you. It sounds like a nice large diaphragm mic for 269 bucks, including a windscreen and a shock mount. I mean, come on. It really does sound great. And at home, I don't even have a fancy mic preamp. I have a relatively inexpensive preamp. What's your preamp? It's a Personas Eureka it's nothing fancy. I'm in saying
0: fact, that like I know what I need. Yeah, you know, what really I like know.
1: about it is it's got EQ, it's got compression. I barely use it for that. It's just it's in my rack and I just sort of run the mic through it. Truth be told, you could plug this thing straight into Pro Tools. It's going to sound great. So it's a cost effective way. But the more important thing is your acoustic environment. You know, I have a friend who who's been on me for months. She's like, what do I do to improve my home setup? And She'll send samples and like, here, I've got the, the blue mic. And mm-hmm. like, it's great. But all I hear is air conditioning and and echo. I was like, well, how do I deaden it? I'm like, well, you go to a studio <laughs> or you invest in some kind of a proper booth at home. And it's a, it could be really tricky.
0: Are there any mics, this is just a side question, that you notice work better with female talent versus male talent?
1: You know, everybody's different, you know, and I love, there's, there's so many great voice actors that come in. They look at the mic and they know exactly where they have to put themselves. You know, you put an 87 in front of them and they just come in and go, okay, I'm going to move the windscreen and I sound really good when I get right here. They know exactly where they want to be. And it's like, yep, it's true. But same goes for musicians. You know, there's a story I tell. There's a sax player he's he's passed on, Michael Brecker. Great, great sax player. And I would struggle for years trying to get that Michael Brecker sound. How do I get that sound? And I was recording an album with him and he came in and I had, it was a booth, a little bit bigger than this one at soundtrack. And he walked in and I had the mic placed and he just bent the mic the way he likes it and started playing. And I'm like, that's the sound. It's Michael Brecker. You, it's just his sound. And he just shoved the mic in front of his sax and sounded amazing. That's the, that's how you get the sound. So it's, it's the voice more than the mic, you know, that you could spend millions on equipment and if your voice isn't great, it's not going to make you great.
0: Well, I asked because for the longest time, I wanted a Neumann mic.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, Waste of money.
0: Well, and not only that, I went over to, um, what's the place? That's an
1: overstatement. That's a, it's not a way. It's a great microphone, no, but it's, not, it's overkill. I for, went over
0: to, what's the place in the West Side? B&H? Yeah. Yeah, they're great. tested out the mics, and I tested out the Neumann. I was like, this does not sound good with my... Right. Oh, and not only that, it picks up... Everything.
1: Yeah, that's... Versus
0: this. Well, I'm this going will pick up sh- everything,
1: too. You're going to hear every little mouth noise, but I'm going to clean it all up before I give you the audio. I'll clean
0: it. <laughs> you know, you know. But no, it, the shotgun, though... It's very it's, sensitive. It, it just picks up right here. It's not going to pick up,
1: like, the squeaky floor, will it? It could. You know, it depends on how, how noisy things are around you. But, yeah, they are sensitive, and that's a, that's a good thing. The reason you go to studios and you always see 87s is for the reason I mentioned earlier. They're consistent. So mm-hmm. if you're in here on a Monday doing a commercial on an 87 and you got to come back Thursday and you're in a different room, it's going to match. And that's why even though it might not be the right mic for your voice,
0: yeah,
1: it's still worth it because consistency matters. You don't yeah. want to get into having a slug in a total mismatch and it opens up a can of worms. That that kind of consistency is why you want to have it.
0: I asked about females sounding better on. Yeah. You, know, you don't have an answer. You, don't, you don't think. It's
1: voice dependent. Like for example, when I did album work. When I was going to cut a vocal track for a male or female singer, I would put five different mics up in a row and have them sing a little bit on each mic. Uh. And they're dramatically different mic to mic. And you found the one that really just resonates with the singer. It could be a cheaper mic. It could be a really expensive mic. But you got to find the one that sounds right for that voice.
0: So it's not like Soprano sounds better on this type of mic versus this
1: type? No, it's just, you know, there's so much to the harmonic structure of your voice that makes you, you. And there have been actors that come in and I'm on an 87 with them. I'm like, I think this 87 is shot. They sound bad. They don't really sound robust. And then an hour later, another voice actor comes in and they get on it like, damn, nope, the mic's fine. You know, (laughs) everybody's different. And the mic is not going to make you more than you are. So here's the problem. You can find the mic that makes you sound best. But then you get into like, gosh, you know, her read from home sounded so bright and rich. And now she's here and it sounds flat. How do we fix that? It's like it's this can of worms.
0: So voiceovers, when you do you see any consistent characteristics or traits, patterns and talent that are either working all the time or just knocking it out of the park?
1: I don't think there's any one trait. I just think it's you're either personable or you're not. I think being mindful of what you're saying, if you're going to hang out in the room with the clients is a big thing Mm -hmm. because you don't know what they're all into. And my favorite actors are the ones that between takes don't start a lot of chit chat in the booth because then it's like, I got to mute them. Then I got to unmute them when we're ready to record again. And it's fair enough. You're locked in a booth. You want to be somewhat social. It's just sometimes it can get a little hairy.
0: So professionalism is one thing that you definitely see.
1: Skills are important. You know, one of the things I I see all the time when I audition and I make notes of it, as as I think most casting people will, if you do take one and I say, okay, great, you kind of ignore this punctuation there. Give it to me more like this. This is the punchline. This is the setup. So it should resolve this way. Go for take two. If they do the same exact thing they did on take one, I'll give them another chance. But if it's the if they're not doing it, I'll say, hey, great voice doesn't take direction or not getting it uh that doesn't mean they're bad it doesn't mean they're not capable it's just in that moment now there's two reasons why that might be happening one might be they legitimately don't get it or it might be that they feel that they know better and they don't want to jeopardize their chance on the audition they want to make sure they deliver what they're what they feel is right and that's fair and that sometimes can work so you never really know but being able to take direction or at least pretend (laughs) it's, it's kind of important
0: Okay, so if you want to get called back again, take some direction, be professional.
1: Yeah, and when I cast too, I don't do a ton of it, but I do love it, as I said. The projects I'm doing are for the clients I know. I'll know the creative team. We'll have talked about the script. So it's not like some ad agency producer just hired a casting company, sent over a script, and there wasn't necessarily much conversation about it. Like When I'm casting something, the people that I'm casting for, I work with all the time, and I totally get what they're shooting for. I will give the client like, hey, these are the ones I really liked. These are my recommends. And here's everybody. So mm-hmm. and they'll sift through everybody. But I would say ninety percent of the time they go with my like, here's my recommends, they they go with that.
0: What trends are you hearing right now in voiceovers that seem like they're really big?
1: Make it more conversational. Oh, I knew you were gonna say that. No, I don't you know, what's funny I don't see a trend. What used to be normal voiceover now people come in and direct actors to like be announcery. It's like, well, that used to be what we all did, you know. Well, for what you guys did, you know, it's be announcery. Uh, now it's like a niche thing. Like you know, he can do that announcer voice, like they all used to do that. <laughs> but it's still conversational. I don't see a trend in terms of a style because every job's a little different.
0: Okay. So Frank, what is the name of your website?
1: It's just dot uh, What about
0: your podcast?
1: Well, I produce Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal podcast. I'm the producer sound guy, right? So at least one night a week we record the show, so that night's gone. But we do a Monday show and a Thursday show, so I spend easily three other nights or weekend days cutting those together.
0: And tell folks what the show's about.
1: It is, it's a great podcast. Um, the Monday show mm-hmm. is Celebrity Interviews. Uh, It's a real tribute to Hollywood. Uh, I mean, Frank Santopadre is the co-host of the show. He does all the research, but it's such a deep dive. Like every week the guests say, how do you even know that? You know. So like we recently just had Joel Grey on. We've had Alan Alda. We've had um, comedians. We've had Stephen Wright. We've had Carl Reiner. Mm -hmm. We've had Norman Lear, Dick Van Dyke, Matthew Broderick, Chevy Chase. I mean, it's just a... And one one guest that was somebody I brought in, uh, Larry Kenny. Do you know Larry? Taste the rainbow. Oh, right? Skittles. Skittle. Well, Skittle's guy, but he's he's did a yeah, lot of animation work, and he's just you know he's he's a really interesting guy with a great career, and I just thought he's not our normal guest, but people really loved it because he was uh, a famous cartoon character in the eighties. Uh, Lion O from uh, Thundercats. Very uh. people of a certain age grew up on that show, and people were like, Oh my God, Lion. Like, people love the guy. But he was also Don Imus's sidekick for many, many years. Just a supremely talented voice actor and really nice guy. And so, and, and there were one of the benefits of being in this job is. Like we just recently interviewed David McCallum. It hasn't come out yet, but he's on NCIS. Yeah. But he was, you know, man from uncle and all these great old things he'd done. And he was a bit of a teen heartthrob. And I hadn't seen him in a while. And I kept saying to Gilbert and, and Frank, if he ever shows up at the studio, I'll mention the show. He showed up here one day and he and he gave me a big hug. He, remained, he was like, what's going on? How did you guys end up here? And great to see him. I said, look, I, I do this show i i do you know would you would you want to be on it and he was like absolutely he gave me his card and he and he came right on and we just wrapped so that'll be in the next uh month or so that'll how did
0: the show come to pass like did gilbert come to you and or how did
1: well so gilbert and his co-host started it because i guess they, they used to be on the phone all the time talking about this stuff mm-hmm. and gilbert's wife who's really you know wonderful she's the the woman behind I've the man actually met her she's so great she's so great so she said you guys should do something with this so Mm -hmm. they they did a podcast and very early on it's a story they've told a million times the first interview was somebody so old that it was incoherent (laughs) and they were like well we tried you know (laughs) this this didn't work but then they got Dick Cavett on Mm -hmm. and he was an instant easy guest you know we say it all the time there are some guests that just come in sit down you wind them up and just sit back and relax because there's so many stories to tell and they just go Dick's been on three times Uh You know, um, but it took off from there. And a friend of mine from college told me one day, she said, you know, have you checked out Gilbert's podcast? And I've recorded him for cartoons over the years on and off. And I had just recently met Dara when I found out about the podcast. Didn't, didn't know about it at the time.
0: How'd you meet Dara? Like she
1: showed up with Gilbert for a Disney record. She was just there. And so we chatted a little bit. She's lovely. And, uh. One day on the train, I became an instant fan of the podcast. It sounded awful. It sounded like they were with one microphone at a kitchen table, mostly because they had one microphone at a kitchen table. <laughs> it was terrible. So I didn't have my headphones plugged in on the train. I was in the quiet car. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden, full volume, you hear from my iPhone, this is Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> and people were just like, look, I'm like, sorry, sorry. So I tweeted that or Facebook posted. it. And um, a promo producer who I'm friends with said, uh, oh, I used to date the co-host. I'm like, well, look, tell him I love the show. I've been listening to every episode. It sounds awful. What can I do to help? By the time I got to work, my phone was ringing, and it was Gilbert's wife, Dara, saying, what can we do? So we struck a deal with Nutmeg to start recording it at Nutmeg after hours, and my involvement just grew from there.
0: Wow. And it just, you know. You will link to that. Yeah, it's said. a
1: great, it's a great show. If you like entertainment – you know the shows really vary. When a comedian is on, it gets a little wacky. We had Howie Mandel recently, and some re- really interesting chats with him uh, and Gilbert about their old days and the state of comedy these days, mm-hmm. and Me Too, and and what you used to be able to say versus what you can say now. Oh. And how it's changed. So that was a really deep conversation, but also off the rails. Uh, we had our annual Christmas show as Mario Cantone, oh. which is absolutely brilliant every year. 3 years in a row. And uh but sometimes the guys could be like completely like um reverent to like like Peter Bogdanovich was on and I'd never seen Gilbert so quiet like soaking in this knowledge coming from the they, he was a Skype interview so it was like it was just this reverence to to what he was saying in his history and, and then sometimes you know it's Steven Wright in and shit just goes off the rails. So that's the Monday show. And then we do a Thursday show, which is a, a real potluck. It could be anything. And that's a shorter show.
0: Cool. do they have yeah. their own website too?
1: Yeah, go to gilbertpodcast.com. You'll you'll see it all there. Or go to Apple or whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Awesome. Well, Frank V., this has been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time on this Thursday evening to chat with
1: me. Is it Thursday?
0: Ah, uh, Frank is such a great guy. Any New York voice talent that have had the opportunity to work with Frank, you know you're a lucky bunch. Thanks for listening in. Until next week, here's to owning our voices.